0: Well good morning, good evening, good evening. Good evening. checking to see if you're awake tonight. <laughs> It's good to have everybody that's here with us tonight. Uh, thank you for being there with us online also. So want to welcome you there. If you're on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, uh, any of those platforms, be sure to heart, to like, to share, uh, subscribe, uh, follow us there. Uh, do all those little things with the notification bells and comment. If you want to leave a prayer request tonight, do that on Facebook uh, for the live. You can do it on any of the others and we'll see it. Uh, But we only will look at the live for the Facebook. And then welcome to those who are listening on our phone live streaming. We have quite a few who do that uh, on the telephone there. So thank you for being there with us. I want to encourage you to go to our website, HighlandBaptistChurch.com, under the info tab. You can download this week's worship bulletin. You can download the children's worship bulletins. Uh, You can download the prayer list. Encourage you to get that prayer list downloaded. Uh, We want to know those updates that you may have for us. Uh, from the prayer list, uh, or any additions that you want to make. So be sure to get that. If you want those in person, they're on the front pews uh, on the ends there. Uh, so I just wanted to remind you of that. While you're there on the church website, go to the far right-hand side, click that Give Online tab. You can do your regular online giving. You can do your Lottie Moon Christmas offering giving. Do you know if we reached our goal yet? I have no idea, she just... Okay all right all right so we we're getting close to our on to our goal uh for the lottie moon christmas offering if you've not give that we want to encourage you to pray about giving to that and then also don't forget the hoosier one cards Uh, we're adding those uh, weekly to our cross over here Uh, be sure to fill out on the little blue side here uh, the the name of an individual that you want to be praying for uh, who doesn't know christ as their lord and savior put that in the offering plate uh, and then you keep the other part for the bookmark to be praying through uh, for those in that individual, and you can write their name at the top of that also. If you want one of those at home, please let us know in the comments there. We'll be glad uh, to send you one. Uh, we may just need to get a, an address from you if we don't already have that. Uh, but just, again, uh, want to encourage you to be praying for those who don't know Christ as our Lord and their Savior. So, Brother Mike, come and lead us.
1: everybody take your hymnals and turn to 142. 142. Miss Pat. is blood, Jehovah. Já...
0: hopefully you've had the time there at home to get your uh, prayer list downloaded there, uh, even if you just have it uh, on your device, so you can be able to follow along uh, with us. So I have my device here open to Facebook, so if you have any comments, any prayer requests that you need to share, I want to encourage you to take the time to do that. So on our Highland Baptist Church family uh, side there, I just want to Uh, Go up to about Bill Warren uh, on the bottom of the list there. Um, Just want to continue to remember uh, him in prayer uh, with his medical issues. Rick German. I've not heard any update on Rick. Is anybody else? Okay. Um, Brother Jack Doubt. I know he's still got some ongoing issues there. Uh, He may be watching uh, online tonight, uh, but I know he has uh, several ongoing things there. Brian Tate. He has some ongoing issues. Uh, issues. Tony Rogers is doing great uh, with his recovery from his back surgery. As if you were here for the chili cook-off, you saw him running around with that belt. So that's, that's pretty good. <laughs> so, so we may just remove Tony uh, from our prayer list there. Uh, okay. All right. So we'll remove Donna Agcock also, which just further up. And we'll come back if you have any others there. we Donna and Ken. And Ken. Okay. All right, so we got also Jimmy Marlowe who's recovering from surgery. Uh, I think he's doing pretty well also. Uh, Robert Everett, uh, he was here this past Sunday from his uh, double knee replacement surgery, doing great with his therapy with that. Miss Cindy Jordan still has some medical issues. Wade Hall, as well as Marlon Bates, they have now scheduled his surgery for February the 15th. So we wanna remember him in prayer as that'll be upcoming. Uh, we mentioned a couple of those that we were taking off the list up higher there, Ken Agcock and Donna Agcock. are there any others on the Highland Baptist Church family side that we need to update or any that we need to add? And I do see Brother Jack is watching online there so. Anybody else? all right, so on the friends and family side um, <clears throat> We'll just start a little more than halfway uh, down here, starting with, uh, we'll just start with Linda Ray. Uh, any, She's already stepped out, so I don't have an update on Linda Ray from Pat. Uh, remember Linda Ray with her medical issues, Laura Hendricks uh, with her cancer treatments, and I believe she finished those. Uh, I believe that's what Becky said, or she's fixing to finish her last one. Uh, so just continue to keep her in prayer as she uh, continues to deal with the ongoing issues there with cancer that everything will be, good with her scans that they'll have to do soon. I wanna remember Sandy McKinney, who's a friend of Judy Stockdale's with family medical issues. Doug Ray, who is the husband of Linda Ray, recovering from surgery. Remember Andy Taylor, uh, who is Nancy Ritchie's brother. Uh, He has cancer, and they are in the process of moving to Florida. In fact, I heard from the pastor at First Estill today, and he was telling me that they are back in town for just this week to do those final things of getting themselves moved uh, down to Florida. And then also want to remember Ricky Hereford. Any update on him? Okay, so Ricky has seven more, we believe, treatments to go through, so keep him in your prayers with that. Remember Miss Kay Goff and Bill Goff, those are some friends of ours from over in Charlotte. Uh, she has dementia, Bill has colon cancer. Uh, they called us while I was gone, but I did. We, we didn't get the call, so I don't know the latest update on Bill and what his treatment plan uh, is there, but he was the caregiver caring for his wife Kay. Their son is doing that now, so keep him in your prayers as well as that family. Uh, Remember Joanne Woodson who's recovering from surgery, Uh, Madison Barnett who has uh, Ewing Ewing sarcoma cancer, Angela Wallace who has medical issues. Uh, This one was given to me by uh, Leanne Wells earlier today and she was telling me that she has quite an extensive list of things uh, that are ongoing. Uh, the biggest things right now are some heart issues. Uh, so I want to remember Angela Wallace with that. And then we've got three that we've got on that side. The want to remember the families of the family of Wendy Hamblin, who's related to Linda Hawkersmith, uh, the family of Janie Town, who is Donna Adcock's sister. Uh, both of those passed away, and then my uncle, uh, John Norman, who passed away. I just went Monday down to Florida, came back yesterday, got back in 11.30 last night. So. <laughs> Um, quick trip but the the family was very appreciative there and just keep that family in your prayers as they continue to deal with that loss any other friends or family there that we need to add I was say, okay
1: all right
0: so we'll take uh, Terry Parrish, who's the sister of Donna Agcockoff, and she's sort of included there with the family of Jamie Town in her passing. Any others? I'm looking on Facebook and I don't see any other updates there right now. All right, on the nursing home list, um, yes, we did get the changes here. So Mary Campbell, uh, who's at NHC, Peggy Egliston at Life Care, Susie Barton, who's at NHC, uh, Bertie Davis, who's at Brookdale. I think I heard that Bertie was having some issues with swallowing, uh, so keep her in your prayers with that. Uh, Miss Janet Carter, who's at MacArthur Manor over in Manchester, Floyd Prince and Sue Prince, uh, who are both at Morning Point, uh, and then Miss Beverly Daniels, they were moving her from Manchester rehab to Morning Point, so uh, I'm assuming I got that word last week uh, before I left this coming Monday, so hope they may have done that. Uh, since I've got the last word, but they're moving her to Morning Point. And then Myra Watson is at Morning Point, and they are uh, bringing in hospice for her. So I wanna keep her and that family in your prayers. Any others that we've missed? Any others you've thought of? All right, again there if you're online and you don't get that uh, typed out or written before we go to the Lord in prayer here in just a moment, Uh, We will look back at the very end and even if we don't catch yours at the very end uh, We will get those added to the prayer list if you make that comment uh, there So let's go ahead and go to the Lord uh, in prayer for tonight Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your grace and your mercy and your loving kindness We thank you Father for being the awesome God that you are, that you have created us You sustain us, you provide for us, you protect us Uh, many times when we don't even realize it. Uh, So, Father, we just want to give you the glory and the honor for how you have faithfully uh, had your hand upon us, uh, how you have faithfully led us and guided us through our lives, even when we didn't always listen, even when we didn't always obey the things that you've told us to do. And that brings us to the place, Lord, of confessing our sins before you, because we don't want anything to hinder our prayers with you. We want you to hear our prayers, especially as we're praying on behalf of individuals for physical healing, but even more importantly, for those for spiritual healing, for salvation uh, in their souls. And so, Father, we ask that you would forgive us and cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness in our lives. Lord, bring it to the... to, to out into the light that we might understand it and know it and confess any sin, whether it's unknown or known. Uh, Father, whether it's something we've committed against you or we failed to do that you've told us to do. Maybe we've sinned against a brother or sister in Christ or someone else. Father, we just wanna confess all of those things before you tonight and ask you to forgive us specifically of those sins that you bring to our hearts and to our minds. Father, we just ask you to forgive us for not being as faithful in our walk with you as we should, whether that's in reading the scriptures or whether that's in spending time with you in prayer or whether that's even in sharing the good news of the gospel with those who are lost around us. Father, forgive us for where we have failed you. And we ask, Lord, for you to cleanse us with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, to wash us white as snow, to use us, Lord, in your kingdom work. And Father, we just wanna come before you tonight. We've mentioned uh, many of these people by name, uh, others that are on this list that we maybe didn't mention them verbally, but you know their situation. Uh, you know their, their physical need that they need and you are the great physician. So we just ask God for you to divinely intervene in their lives right where they are right now at this moment. Uh, Lord, just touch them with your power. Uh, bring about a, a special healing miracle upon their lives, Lord, that there'd be no other way to explain what happens than it was the hand of God. And Father, I pray that they would be used by You to be a witness of You and Your, and your power and your, your saving grace and Your mercy. Father, I pray that uh, You would be with each one of these individuals to walk with them through, uh, some through the valley of the shadow of death, some through trials and tribulations physically and otherwise. And Father, we just pray that they will find their strength, uh, their support in You each and every day to keep pressing forward one moment at a time, one day at a time, to follow you uh, to the best of their abilities and the power of the Holy Spirit uh, in their hearts and in their lives. So, Lord, bless them in a powerful and a mighty way. And use us, Lord, as a church, as believers, as their friends, to come alongside them and to be a blessing to them in whatever way that you might open the opportunity for us to be. So Lord, we ask your blessings uh, on on all these things. We ask, Lord, that you would be with unspoken needs that we may have in our hearts. And we know that you know those things, Lord. There's none of the things in our lives that are too big for you to handle. You are a great and an awesome God. And we just ask for you to shower your grace and your mercy and your loving kindness upon us lord give us a peace that passes all understanding comfort the hearts of those who have lost loved ones and embrace them lord in your love to let them know that you are with them you've not left them nor forsaken them and father we just pray for your will to be done as they continue walking through their journey in life father we want to pray also tonight that as we continue this study Uh, in the book of Zechariah. May it be powerful and alive and sharper than any two-edged sword. May we see the application from such a wonderful book in the Old Testament that has application and meaning for our lives even today. So bless your word tonight. Uh, here in the book of Zechariah, uh, a, a, as we look, Lord, at, at, at coming back to you, as we look at being refined uh, in, our, in our hearts and in our lives with you, I pray that there will be those things that, that will just stick out to us through your word here. And, Father, we just pray that you will be glorified and honored uh, in our hearts and in our lives. We ask your blessings tonight. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen and amen. All right, well, take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to the book of Zechariah. How many of you know where Zechariah is at? Good. A lot of people here know where Zechariah is at. If you're at home, uh, if you find the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you go back one book before Before that, uh, before Matthew will be Malachi, and the book prior to that will be Zechariah, And we're getting close here to the end. We've got one more chapter uh, next week to look at in Zechariah, Zechariah 14, then we'll be in Malachi, and then we'll be concluded with the minor prophets. We're looking at the minor prophets, but we are going to be going to the major prophets. So we're going to go back and look at the major prophets. It's going to take us a while to get through the major prophets because there's a lot more chapters uh, in those uh, books because that's why they're major. They're just bigger in size, not that they're bigger or more important. Uh, than than the minor prophets or what we call the minor prophets. So Zechariah chapter 13, we're going to just look first and foremost here uh, at verse 1. And verse 1 begins and says, and we read this the last time uh, when we looked at chapter 12 because this is kind of uh, uh, the, the conclusion of chapter 12, if you will, because it says, on that day, And that's that phrase that we've been looking at all through the book of Zechariah. On that day, referring to uh, not just the things that are happening in Zechariah's day, but on that day when the Messiah returns again. When He comes, He's coming first, but then on that day when He comes, on that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. So that happened with the first coming of Jesus Christ. When He came and died on the cross, there was a way that was made for, for Jew and Gentile to be cleansed from their sin and from their uncleanness. But the ultimate fulfillment of that is in the, in the final days when Jesus comes uh, to, to establish His reign as the King of kings and Lord of lords, that ultimately then there will be no more sin. And there will be no more suffering and no more sorrow then. So the ultimate completion of chapter 13 and verse 1 comes in the last days. And that's why we have that emphasis of on that day, speaking about the Messiah. And so uh, that kind of gives us the, the, the intro, if you will, to chapter 13. I read this story uh, the other day that said that these two men, they were walking through a pasture uh, when in the distance they saw this enraged bull that was charging towards them. And the man began to run uh, towards the nearest fence. And that bull, he was in hot pursuit uh, after them. He was gaining on them with every step. It became obvious that they weren't going to make it to the fence before the bull made it to them. And so terrified, one of them shouted to the other and said, John, you got to pray for us. you got to pray out loud. We're in for it. John said, I can't pray. I've never prayed in public in my life. The other man said, well, you've got to. He said, this bull is catching up fast. John, he panted and he said, All right, he said, but the only prayer I know to say is the one my dad said every night at dinner. So he prayed, Oh Lord, make us truly thankful for what we're about to receive. (laughs) Now, I'm not sure what happened next, but I do know that that little story brings up a really serious question. How can we give thanks to God? when we're in trouble, when our lives are tough, or even when our lives are tragic? How can we give thanks to God in situations like that? Paul wrote to us in the letter to Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18. He said this, In everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now you may have noticed that the verse doesn't say, give thanks for everything. doesn't put it that way. There are times that it would be impossible or even disingenuous to, be, to give thanks for everything. But the truth is, it can even seem nearly impossible to give thanks in everything. I mean, how do you give thanks when your doctor says you have cancer? How do you hold up, uh, hold on to hope uh, when the person you love the most walks out on you? How do you give thanks when you've been fired and, and your, 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 your dream has collapsed? Where does your hope go? when you've gone through an economic tidal wave that's wiped out everything that you worked for? How can we hold on to hope and give thanks in everything when we face things like these? Well, these are tough things. They're even tragic things. And the only way to keep our hope alive in life's tragic and tough circumstances is to live every day of our lives in the light of God's eternal plan and God's eternal purpose, in the light of God's truth and His promises in His Word. That's why studying prophecy, prophetic books like Uh, Zechariah here is so important for us as followers of Jesus because one of the things we see here is that God has a plan for the future. And knowing what God has planned for the future gives us hope where we are right now. And so the Old Testament and the New Testament is filled with all kinds of promises of the second coming of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament alone, for every one prophecy of the first coming of Christ, there are eight prophecies concerning the second coming of Christ. The purpose of biblical prophecy is not just to satisfy our curiosity. You know, so often we we approach biblical prophecy and we think, well, I want to know what the seven means here and what is this figurative thing here that's being described? What is that? And we want to know all these intricate details and we want to satisfy our curiosity. And those things can be helpful if we look at them from the right perspective. But all too often people look at biblical, biblical prophecy and as we see here in Zechariah, with the purpose of just satisfying their curiosity. For some people, the primary reason for studying prophetic books or prophetic studies seems to be to quench their curiosity or to to bolster their their arguments about their their end time uh, position. Uh, Those aren't the reasons that God gives us, though, to study prophecy. Instead, God spoke to His people in the Old Testament about the future so that we can see his eternal purpose and so understanding God's unfolding plan for the future ought to empower us in the present to live with hope and to live with victory now Zechariah 13 and 14 really go together and they're all about giving God's people hope for the future Uh, the major theme of these chapters is God's promise of a certain victory. So you can understand, knowing where the nation of Israel has been and all the difficulties that they've gone through, that this message, this closing of the book of Zechariah would have been very important to them. This would have been very encouraging, bringing hope to them. Uh, And so these chapters, as we're going to see, chapter 13 and 14, are going to divide easily into four uh, major sections. Each section is going to reveal to us something significant about the second coming of Jesus Christ and about the victory that His coming promises us. So tonight, chapter 13 is just one of those sections. The other three sections are in chapter 14. So the first thing that we see here uh, in this section that gives us hope here, that divides out into this major section about the coming of Christ, is about our guaranteed access to God our guaranteed access to God. Now, we know from this side of the cross that when Jesus died on the cross, the veil in the temple was what? rent in two from the top down to the bottom, giving us then direct access to God the Father. No longer do you have to go through the high priest. You have direct access as a believer yourself. And so we see that being fulfilled partially in Christ on the cross. And so we're going to see here in verse 1 through verse 9, there's not a lot of verses here for chapter 13, but there's a lot of powerful information in these verses. So Zechariah 13 verse 2 through verse 9 describes for us the renewal of Israel, of God's people, as we see them repent and believe in Jesus as the Messiah at His second coming. Now, many times, Uh, when we look at the Old Testament we know that the Bible tells us in the New Testament that salvation comes through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone there's no other name given among men whereby you must be saved and that name is Jesus and and so we understand that there's only one way to the Father uh, and that's through Jesus he is the way the truth and the life no man cometh to the Father but by me so how do we explain then the Old Testament how did the Old Testament saints Become saved. Well, you look over to book the book of Hebrews, and you'll see over and over in the book of Hebrews it was accounted unto him as righteousness. Uh, it was his belief and his trust. What were they believing in? What were they trusting in? They were trusting in what Genesis chapter three verse fifteen uh, had spoken of in the very beginning of the uh, of the the Old Testament about the promised seed that was to come. It was about. Jesus Christ, the Messiah. They didn't know him as Jesus. They didn't know the works of Jesus and what Jesus would do. Ultimately, they saw the prophecies, though. They heard the word of God that said, I am sending a Messiah. I am sending one who can save you from your sins. And so, we look back to Jesus. They were looking forward to Jesus. So where is their faith? Their faith is in Jesus. Where is our faith? Our faith is in Jesus. And so we see here as Israel begins to repent, as they begin to believe in the Messiah, Jesus Christ from our perspective uh, in, in His first coming and His second coming, this passage here in chapter 13 shows us how God is going to provide access for His people to call on Him. As they turn away from their their idols that they have been worshiping, as they turn away from false prophets, and then as they're purified by the Lord, and then cry out to God in prayer. So notice we're going to see, as I've titled this sermon tonight, refined. That's what we're going to see an emphasis on here in chapter 13. We're going to see that refining process uh, that God promises in verse 2. So begin with me, if you will in verse 2. Notice how he begins verse 2, and on that day. So there's that phrase once more. On that day declares the Lord of hosts, I will cut off the names of the idols from the land so that they shall be remembered no more. And also I will remove from the land the prophets and the spirits of uncleanness. So he says there in verse 2, he says, I'm going to cut off the names of the idols from the land. Now, the Hebrew for idols is the word astav. It comes from a verb that means to form or to fashion, which indicates the fact that that human hands formed these idols. It'd be like us taking a glob of clay and molding it and shaping it into some image and say, poof, poof. That's my God. That's an image of my God. And, and you worship that idol. Uh, you see that in the Old Testament uh, when Moses had gone up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments and he stayed up there a long time and Aaron's in charge down below and, and the people there getting frustrated. Why has Moses been up there so long? We don't even know if he's alive anymore. It's been so long he's been up there days after day after day. And they said, come on, come on, Aaron, build us something, give us, an, give us something that we can have as a, as a figure, uh, as an idol to worship uh, God. And so Aaron, you remember what he does, he tells all the people, bring all your gold, uh, let's collect it all, get all your earrings, get all your bracelets, get all those ornaments that you have that you're wearing. he says, bring it all, let's collect it all. And he takes that and he, he, he put, he's, he's one who can work that metal, get it down to where it's pliable, and, and then forms it into the shape of a calf. We have the golden calf. Well, you remember what happens there. Moses is up on the mountain and God speaks to Moses and said, my people down there, uh, they're worshiping uh, wrong down there. They're doing wrong. You need to hurry up and get down there right now uh, and, and tell them judgment is coming to them if they don't repent. Well, you remember he gets down there, he talks to Aaron and, and he says, Aaron, what'd you do? Why'd you do all this? And he said, oh, I didn't, I, they gave me their gold and I threw it in the fire and out popped the calf. And that's what he says. That's the kind of thing that we see here, something being formed, being fashioned by human hands. And so what the Bible says here in verse two, God says, I'm going to destroy all of that. So we see the destruction of idolatry in Israel as erasing the names of the idols. And that's significant because in, in ancient culture, a name reflected a person's character, it reflected a person's reputation. It reflected their essence. So when you got rid of somebody's name, you were getting rid of everything about them, their essence, their, their reputation, their character. So to erase the name of an idol indicates there a total destruction of their credibility, of their authority uh, o- over Israel so god promises that when jesus returns when the messiah returns to rule over his people all the false gods of this world represented by the empty idols are no longer going to be remembered and along with that elimination of idolatry god promises this he says i'm going to also remove from the land the prophets and the spirit of uncleanness now significantly in this passage the Lord identifies the root of the false prophecy, which is the unclean spirit. And the Hebrew word for uncleanness is tumah. Uh, it was used in a variety of ways in the Old Testament. It referred to sexual impurity uh, of a woman during the menstrual cycle and any physical, uh, physically unclean thing in the temple that required purification. So the meaning was extended, though, to spiritual uncleanness to spiritual impurity. And so even Jesus himself, When he confronts unclean spirits a number of times in the Gospels, he gives his disciples authority uh, over them. Revelation chapter 16 mentions unclean spirits. And in chapter 16, verse 13 and 14, uh, it mentions these unclean spirits that are coming out of the mouth of Satan, coming out of the mouth of the Antichrist and the false prophet uh, in the last days, uh, identifying those unclean spirits as demonic spirits that go out to summon the nations to the battle of Armageddon. So Zechariah 13 verse 2 though is the only place in the Old Testament that talks explicitly about unclean spirits. And so we see the implication there for the future and the Antichrist and the unclean spirits there. You go to verse 3 down to verse 6 and he begins to expand on how these false prophets are going to be eliminated from God's people. So notice verse three, down through verse six. We'll just start with verse three to start with. He says, and if anyone again prophesies, his father and his mother who bore him will say to him, you shall not live for you speak lies in the name of the Lord. And his father and mother who bore him shall pierce him through when he prophesies. I don't know about you, but that's pretty graphic that your mother and your father is going to be the one who's going to kill you for being a false prophet. So the Mosaic law, you go back to the Old Testament and you look at the Mosaic law, the Mosaic law required that a false prophet be put to death. And and as the people of Judah turn to the Lord in the last days, God makes this staggering promise that the false prophet's own parents are not only going to accuse them of the crime before God, but they're going to be the ones to actually carry out their own son's execution. And as a result, those who had been prophesying falsely are going to suddenly claim a different line of work as their profession. They're going to say, wait a second, I wasn't a prophet. Look at verse 4. On that day, every prophet will be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies. He will not put on a hairy cloak in order to deceive. So the immediate shame at their own prophecies would seem to indicate that these false prophets are not altogether in control of the messages that they've been giving, uh, but they're just instruments of these unclean spirits that they've served. He says, "No longer are these false prophets going to wear hairy cloaks. Uh, what that's identifying them with is, is as the spokesman for God and, give, and giving them authority uh, and respect." Now, uh, if you remember John the Baptist when he was in the wilderness, what did he wear? What we might call here a hairy cloak. He wore uh, a garment on the outer that had it was like animal skin, uh, furry, the 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 hair, and, and so it identified him as a prophet of God. That's what they were doing is they were wearing these hairy cloaks emphasizing, hey, I'm a prophet of God, when they really weren't. They were telling people false things. And it says no longer are they going to wear these things, uh, identifying themselves with God and and His authority and His respect. Instead, verse 5 through verse 6 says that a man will claim never to have been a prophet. So look at verse 5. He says, but he will say, I'm no prophet. I'm a worker of the soil, for a man sold me in my youth. And if one asks him, what are these wounds on your back? He will say, the wounds I received in the house of my friends. And so it, he, he's going to claim never to have been a prophet. He's just simply going to say, I, I'm just a hired farmhand since my youth. He's going to deny the cuts and the scars on his chest uh, that resulted from uh, those, those cutting rituals of the false worship, the idol worship uh, that was going on. That, that's why they're asking, what's all these cuts then? Uh, because those cuts were things they would do when they were worshiping these false idols. And they say, oh, look at there, you're a prophet, aren't you? You got all these cuts, and he says, oh, no, 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 that's my friends that did that to me. All of this cleansing is gonna happen of Israel, of idolatry, of false prophets, of unclean spirits. And all of that can be attributed to the fountain of living waters open for the people of Judah and Jerusalem through the coming of the Messiah, that's described back in verse 1, that he will cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. James Montgomery Boyce said this in his commentary. He said, Where does this cleansing from sin's power and defilement come? It comes from the fountain. And then he says, And what is that? Clearly, the fountain that will be open to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem is the blood of the Messiah whom they have pierced. It's the blood of Jesus that washes us white as snow, that flows like a fountain from the foot of the cross. And then the beginning in verse 7 down to verse 8, Zechariah begins to describe the slaying of God's shepherd and the scattering of Of God's sheep. Look at verse 7 and verse 8. He says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one third shall be left alive. So, in those verses there, the sword is a personification there. It's personified as the Lord addresses this this deadly weapon, and he says to this sword, wake up. He says, awake, strike the shepherd. Now, the Lord calls the shepherd the one who stands next to me, or my associate, as some versions say. The Hebrew term, used there, uh, is used in other places in the Old Testament to describe a neighbor, to describe a close companion or another person regarded as an equal. So telling the sword to strike the shepherd is a picture uh, showing the death of Christ was no accident. It was divinely planned from the beginning. It was prophesied here in Zechariah. Uh, that the sword would reach out against his shepherd. That's consistent with what Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 53 10. It says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. That's speaking of the Messiah. At the end of verse 7, notice what he says. He says, uh, There at the end of verse 7, he says, Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. So, God's sheep are going to be scattered as a result of the Messiah's death. What do we see happens in the life of Jesus? When he's crucified on the cross, what happens to all those sheep, all the disciples? Boy, they run. Remember there at the garden? They fled. Uh, so, they fled. Uh, not many of them were around there actually at the, at the cross. We know John was because Jesus speaks from the cross uh, down to John and tells him, behold your mother, woman, behold your son. Uh, so we know he was there. There may have been a couple of others who were there, but for the most part they scattered. Uh, and, and so, uh, we see here Jesus himself even quoted uh, this verse. Uh, to his disciples on the night before he was crucified. So even before it actually happened, Jesus says in Matthew 26, verse 31, that you remember that prophecy this back in Zechariah about strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter? That's about to happen. That's going to happen right here soon. And so the verse, uh, this verse prophesies that the disciples are going to abandon Jesus as he's crucified in Matthew 26, 56. And it also points, though, to the the scattering of the Jews when Jerusalem was destroyed. So remember in history at AD 70, Jerusalem itself was destroyed and the Jewish people were scattered. So it's not only referencing His disciples that scattered when He's crucified, when the temple and Jerusalem is destroyed, the Jewish people are scattered. Uh, And you also will see in Revelation chapter 12 during the tribulation, uh, the same thing happening. And so it begins to be one upon another to the ultimate climax there in Revelation chapter 12. Now that phrase, little ones, parallels the sheep. It's probably referring to the first century disciples. It's probably also referring to the unbelieving Jews of all ages. And it's also referring to the faithful remnant of the future. And then verse 8, Zechariah reveals what's going to happen as a result of God's flock being scattered. What's going to happen? They're going to face a time of crisis that will cut off or destroy two-thirds of the flock. Now that's not what happened in Jesus' day with His disciples. That's something that's still off out there in the future to happen on that day when Jesus comes the second time. When Jesus comes the second time, only a third of the flock are going to survive the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70 was just probably a taste of what's coming uh, in the tribulation, the trouble that's going to face uh, Israel that's prophesied by Zechariah. But it's also talking about, as we said, that future catastrophe uh, is what probably is in view here. So evidently, during the tribulation of the end times, two-thirds of the Jews are going to perish, and one-third is going to live through it and enter into the millennium. Now, that there's that remnant that you read about in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 7, verse 1 through verse 8. Revelation chapter 14, verse 1 through verse 5. There's that number that maybe you've heard, if you've thought about biblical prophecy, 144,000. That's the remnant that's left. And so that's probably what this one-third is referring to here. And then verse 9 shows that the remnant is going to be reestablished in a covenant relationship with God. So verse 9 says, And I will put this third, this 144,000, this final group, into the fire. That's kind of descriptive of tribulation, great tribulation. I'm going to put them into the fire and refine them as one refines silver and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name, and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. That's something they have not said yet, that the Lord Jesus Christ is their God. So God promises that he's gonna put this third through the fire, for the purpose of refining them, to refine them like silver, and also, he says, to test them like gold is tested. So understand, there is this slight difference here, this slight shade of meaning between refine and test. The Hebrew word for refine is saraf, uh, which refers to a, a process of, of purification. The word test is the Hebrew word bakan which means to examine. It means to prove. When you add those two words together, you get a full picture of what God is going to do to the Jews during the tribulation. We see that he's going to purify them uh, of anything in their lives that's impure in order to prove them that he, they are his own redeemed people. So in the days of Zechariah, uh, a, a refiner uh, would take the raw gold or the raw silver. They would place it in this ceramic vat, this container. Inside that container was the ore, not just the precious metal like silver or gold, but there would be all kinds of impurities in it like zinc or lead or, or even salt. And that container would then be put into the fire kiln for five days. And during those five days, all of those impurities would separate to the— I mean, you, you ever watch—you're uh, cooking rice on the on the stove and it boils. Uh, everything begins to go to the edges, doesn't it? I mean, when you, you're, you're done cooking and you've got to clean the pan— That's where all the dirtiness is that you got to get off the pan. All the impurities go there. But that's what happens with this container that's placed in this fire kiln for five days. The impurities separate to the outer edges of the container. Nothing would be left in the middle of the vessel but the pure silver or the pure gold. And so just like a refiner turns up the heat on gold to refine it, just like the refiner does the same thing with silver, to to make it pliable, to make it moldable, to make it flexible, and then to purify it, God is going to do that to us also as his people, to go through a times of testing and refining to make us what he wants us to be. So that's one of the applications we can get from this passage for us today, is that he allows us many times to go through trials and tribulations in our life, times of testing in our life to refine us, because, you know, it's often we say that, don't we, we say, I love you, Lord, I love you. I love you with all my heart. That's just words. You see people do that all the time. In, in marriage relationships or in uh, other, f- other relationships even before marriage. They say, oh, I love you. I love you. But there's never any demonstration of that love. It's empty words. A- and so that's one of the reasons he allows us to go through those times of testing and proving, you say you love me, let's find out. Because when you go through the fire, that's when you find out who you really are in here. That's where you find out, do you really, truly love the Lord? Or when the heat turns up, do you get out of the kitchen? He allows it to happen even to us as he's given the picture here of what's going to happen to the nation of Israel. He allows it to happen to us for times of testing to make us what he wants us to be. And he uses those times of testing in our lives many times to bring us to our knees where there's nowhere else for us to turn but to him so that we will call on him. Isn't that what it says here in this verse? And I will put, the th- put this third into the fire and refine them as one refined silver and test them as gold is tested. And when I do that, here's what's going to happen. They're going to call upon my name, and he says, I will answer them. That's the culmination of of God's work of purifying his people comes here at the end of verse 9. God makes four statements here. To describe the access that He's going to provide Israel to Himself, that He's going to provide us as His children uh, to Himself uh, after they've been purged in, by the persecution and the tribulation. Notice uh, there's a pattern here uh, of words of they, I, I, and they. So it goes from they, I, I, and they. So He says, they will call on My name. So the call there is more than just a simple, simple crying out to God for rescue, for trouble. We do that all the time. We get in trouble, we do something that's wrong, and we cry out to God, God, get me out of this mess. We, we got ourselves there to start with. But we call on his name to get us out. So it's more than just a crying out for him to rescue us from trouble. Instead, this crying out is a picture of us placing faith in him. And repenting meaning turning away from the direction we were headed so that's the kind of calling out here we see it's a calling out of repentance it's not just calling out for him to rescue us it's trusting in him and and seeking his uh, forgiveness secondly we see he says not only will they call on my name he says I will answer them so God will respond to his people when they sincerely call upon Him, by answering them, by accepting them, by forgiving them, by saving them, He says, I will answer. Isn't that an awesome promise for us tonight? To know that no matter where you are in your stages of life, you could be way down here in the valley of life, you, you've messed up, you've sinned, there's sin in your life and it's brought you way down, and He says, if you'll call out to me, I will answer. I will forgive, I will accept, I will save, I will answer. And then he says, I will say, so here's a second I, I will say, they are my people. What an encouraging thing for us to hear that we can be if we trust in Jesus as our lord and savior we can be a part of his family that he says to us you are my people for the nation of Israel here they were fulfilling his, he was going to be fulfilling his covenant promise to Israel and he says that I will acknowledge and I will embrace these people even though they've rebelled against me I mean think about all they did in the wilderness think about all they did uh, as he, they established the kingdom as they divided in a kingdom As they've been taken off into exile into two different places, and now all the judgment that has come upon them. God says I'll still call you my people And then he goes back to them in the fourth thing, and says, they will say, the Lord is my God. Not the Lord your God, preacher. Not the Lord your God, prophet Zechariah. The Lord is my God. Now what that word Lord there is, is the word Yahweh. Uh, it, it's that covenant name of God. And, and so he's saying no more... Are these people going to be turned to idols and to false prophets? We still see that has not been completed yet. So that is still telling us is something out there in the future to happen. Their only allegiance, he says, though, in that day is going to be to the Lord. Now, in the New Testament, Paul quotes these verses. You look over to Romans chapter 11, verse 26 and verse 27. He quotes from Isaiah 59 20 to 21 he quotes from Jeremiah 31 33 to 34 uh, which rested in the promise that God is going to restore Israel in the future so here's what he says in Romans 11 26 and 27 he says and so all Israel shall be saved as it is written there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins." God's promise to remove impurities, to remove our sin that he gave back in verse 1 of chapter 13, restores Israel's access to him. That has a powerful application for us today, because just like Israel, we as believers today need to repent. Repent from following after empty and useless alternatives to God, idols that sometimes we create with our own hands and our own hearts. Uh, Like Israel, we have to turn from the false messenger uh, and all those messengers who pretend to speak truth uh, while peddling their deception and their lies. And like Israel... We can count on God hearing, and we can count on God answering when we call on Him. Why? Because we belong to Him. Let me ask you this. I don't have mine here because it's up there as one of the cameras for tonight. But you ever gotten a call on your cell phone, and you look at that display to see who's calling, and then you decide not to answer the call? Instead of answering, sometimes we take the phone, we put it away in our pocket, you put it away in your pocketbook. Sometimes you you put the cell phone away because you don't know the person who's calling. Other times you get the call and you leave it unanswered because you do know the person and you just don't want to talk to that person. There are also times when you'd like to take the call, but you're busy with something else and you simply aren't available to talk. As human beings, We have our limits in our availability. We can't be available to everybody all the time, even when we want to be. But here's what we need to know. God is unlimited. He is unlimited in His power to hear. He is unlimited in His availability to answer when we call. And because of the work of Jesus Christ, God is always available to us. I mean, here's what, God doesn't see us and, and duck for cover. I don't want to hear what they got to say. I know they're just coming to complain to me again. They're coming to complain about this problem or that problem. He never sees us coming and ducks out of the way to avoid us. He loves us, and He cares for us, and He hears us when we call. And that's what we see in chapter 13, the guarantee of our access to Him through Jesus Christ let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. What a powerful message in chapter 13, and we still haven't even got to the best that comes in chapter 14. Father, I pray that we have been encouraged in our hearts tonight, Lord, that there has been a way that's been made through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the fountain that flows from the throne, Lord, that washes us white as snow when we trust in Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. So, Father, help us to be Reminded from this passage tonight, Lord, that you do love us. And that if we will sincerely call out, not just for rescue, but we're calling out, Lord, in repentance, that we're turning away from the way we've been going, that we're calling out to you, Lord, by faith, to say, Lord, I'm trusting you. I'm going to trust you. I I need the power of the Holy Spirit to help me to trust you day by day that you will hear and you will answer from heaven lord it may be that we have to go through some fire in our life we have to go through some trial for you to make us into what you would have us to be but lord help us to know that even in that fire you are bringing about a great purpose in our lives to make us all you would have us to be to bring glory to your name and to bring good into our lives so lead us lord and guide us especially as we see the things happening around us in our world in our lives lord help us to trust in you more and more and more. We are your people, and let us rest in those promises. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thank you so much for joining with us there online. Thank you for being here in person. We look forward to seeing you this Sunday. Uh, Sunday School's at 915, Worship's at 1030. Come and join us in person if you can. If you can't, we're glad to have you there. Spread the word, share it with others, uh, with all those different platforms there. Um, anybody, Anybody got Facebook open still? I don't, but we'll add your prayer request if you listed a prayer request there uh, to our prayer list. So thank you so much for being with us. We'll see you this coming Sunday. You have a blessed week.